Hi there, and welcome to Scale, podcast for modern media. I am your host, Stuart Ritchie, the founder and lead developer at Power by Coffee. Power by Coffee is a web and software development team focusing on technology issues facing the media today. Scale is a podcast about how technology impacts the media and how the media impacts technology in return. Everything from ad tech and privacy to hosting and content management. We're interested in what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, and where we might end up in the future. Welcome to our episode today. We're really glad to have you. Our guest today is Hans Bjordal, the CEO of Culture Foundry. Culture Foundry is a user experience design agency in the US. They do a lot of the same things we do, a powered by coffee, but with much more of a design, design-led focus. Um, mm-hmm. Hans, I'm going to hand over to you. Tell us about yourself, about Culture Foundry, about your own background and how you kind of got into all of this. You bet. So uh, Culture Foundry is 12 years old, and we've worked in the field with a variety of types of companies, a lot of media companies, some entertainment companies, companies of all stripes. And so our largest, most recognizable clients would be probably the Kentucky Derby, 24-Hour Fitness, you know, I know well-known brand names in the US. I don't quite know how those translate. Okay. Apple yeah. 24-Hour Fitness is around, uh, but I think everybody knows the Kentucky Derby. It's in a lot of mm-hmm. culture. It's in movies. Everybody knows what a Moscow Mule is kind of thing. There you go. There you go. Everyone's enjoyed one of those. And then also some publications of various stripes, magazines, newspaper, regional newspaper companies often. My background prior to that is in journalism. I have a journalism degree from University of Colorado here in the States and took a few steps into media and journalism. And then the technology wave really just picked me up and kind of swept me away. And so it's the really if I had a view of media and technology from both sides of that divide, shall we say. And I think there is a little bit of a divide there. So I spent some time, for example, at MSNBC, helping with their digital publishing system, creating a new one effectively from scratch, which was quite a scale exercise, shall we say. Yeah. And then I have a weird claim to fame. I don't know if I mentioned this on our last, our no, intro call. I, um, I don't know what's coming here. I'm My weird claim to fame <laughs> is I'm author of the first comic strip on the internet called Where the Buffalo Roam. So that really? was, yeah, it was kind of an extension of a college comic strip I did. The This is back in shortly after 91 when I graduated and met some technologists who were like, we want to put your comic strip uh-huh. on the internet. I'm like, and... Before you know it, I'm in their sort of office basement answering email on a console from Australia, thinking that was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And then I joined their company eventually, and that's how I got my got swept up into technology. That's awesome. That's really cool. I had no idea. I think I'm like a pretty old old person of the internet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the deep magics, Telnet, Gopher, and... Yep, this was back in Alternate. Like it was on yeah. Alternate, wow. the comic... Yeah, the comic was Where the Buffalo Roam and kind of a nod to the University of Colorado mascot, but really an eye-opening experience about the power of technology to just sort of reach, right? You're just like, oh my Lord, right? Reach could be expanded so easily and so... Of course. Yeah. That must be ridiculous. The number of people must have seen that given the number of people online at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of the thing I always think about. Like People were just consuming... Oh, you could have almost consumed the entire internet at one point. 
Yeah. And actually, I read I misspoke. It wasn't Alternet. I'm thinking about the alternative, new, the alternative News Syndication Network. It was Clarinet. We were on Clarinet. I got it. It's all coming back to me now. The nostalgia hits hard sometimes. Yes, doesn't it? exactly. I was, I, cause I'm, I think I'm probably a fair bit younger than you, but I was listening to a podcast came out recently by Mozilla Foundation and Netscape. Mm-hmm. I was sat there thinking, I remember when you could use the Mozilla browser pre-becoming Firefox. And I remember yeah. I sat on a Pentium 2 computer that barely ran and having got rid of Internet Explorer to use Mozilla browser just to try and eke that little bit of performance out. And there, there was a thrill to that, right? There was the fact that it felt like you had to cobble those tools together, that you almost discovered them. It almost felt like Mozilla was secret and you'd found a secret, right? Yeah. And there was a real thrill to kind of, and it's in a way it's sort of the, it was such a crude interface, though it seemed advanced at the time. That was almost part of the, part of the, I'll use the word thrill, of using this to connect these pages. And I remember for a company I worked for before I got swept up into the the technology stuff and doing their very first website and optimizing for Mozilla effectively, yeah. right? Because that was the the main browser to use. You have all these kind of like conditional comments for like, this will just this will just show up in IE, but Mozilla will get the the real one, the normal yeah. version back in the day. <laughs> Every site was one column, pictures, right? Text, pictures, text. User gifts. Yeah. The whole exactly. The whole, the whole shebang. Yep. Uh, but anyway, we digress. That was awesome. But uh, your background, like you say, is, is a bit of both. It, there's a journalism, so it's mm-hmm. kind of being inside the newsroom, inside of church, for lack of a mm-hmm. better word, and mm-hmm. then on the business side part, and um, mm-hmm. whatever way you kind of want to go with which side is which in, in the US. And that must give you a remarkably unique perspective because I don't think the two crossover particularly often that i had seen now and, and it's it's interesting because that that uh, that crossover between the journalism side and the business side that's manifested for years you know, since the beginning right in media and in news specifically and it's often referred to again i don't know if this translates to the uk if that's the word used the firewall right there was always this talk of the firewall between the business and and the journalism, and that could play out nationally or it could play out more regionally, right? And so that's I've worked with in various forms back in my Colorado days. I do an occasional column for the Boulder Weekly and then later on help them with their technology evolution, right? Because we were all very familiar with each other. But even at that, even at smaller scale, that firewall was, was really prevalent in the narrative about what the organization was about and how it was going to run. Yeah. Technology, in a way... Is, is almost the third i've it's interesting how you bring that up because it's almost like technology is kind of like a third party in that relationship because it can't be truly firewalled from either of those yeah. so it necessarily has to be a bridge but it's often an expensive bridge right and and that can really have an effect on the the, the business side of the operation of course mm-hmm. how, how, how have you seen that change over the years i've seen it i think the primary dynamic there's really two dynamics at play i would say one of the things that i've seen play out over the years that isn't talked about as much in technology and media but we're often in a context of media organization under pressure and under just completely unrelenting pressure so i was really struck in the 90s as i had one foot in the journalism realm and one foot in the technology realm how healthy 
the news businesses were, right? I talked to an editor who had worked in major papers in California and, oh my God, class of, remember classified ads in the paper would arrive on Sunday thick with classified ads from an organizational perspective that's thick with money. Yeah. Just, we had a fountain of money and it was going to run forever. And in sort of my early journalism adventures, I did some intern work with the local Boulder paper, the Denver paper. I had sort of touch, had a touch point with all the, the, the local media and they were all very, very healthy. And there was the sense that it was going to last forever. And it wasn't complacency necessarily, but also a little bit of complacency maybe, right? In retrospect, right? This is technology. Hey, we're fine. We're fine. We've got tons of classified ads. We'll be fine. Three years later, it felt the whole world had flipped, right? Yeah. Craigslist was probably the single greatest damaging blow to newspapers because it just hit, it was right to the reactor core, right? Of, yep. of like where the money was made and hey, we're going to do it for free. And it's, they, they could put the technology together. I'm not blaming Craigslist for, for doing this, but sort of these, the flip, it was so amazing how fast it was. And then frankly, I don't think media has ever fully recovered, right? Media has this, curve of energy and enthusiasm and funding often where there's big early enthusiasm we're gonna we're gonna change the paradigm we're gonna with this kind of coverage and then 10 years come by and there's this almost exhaustion point even with new media and if you have print products it gets more challenging because you have to sort of carry along the cost of that model as you go and then you are in all these amazingly challenging no-win situations right do you do you do you downsize your print product when it's effectively your true flagship and there's a tactile thing that you bring there you know that but if you do that you're going to lose some you're going to lose some readers and some loyalty along the way but sometimes you have to make these really hard decisions and then you can get in this downward spiral and so for us approaching companies understanding their context i think is important the other trajectory right that's one trajectory and i think it's it's the water right in in which in which all the fish are the other trajectory that's more positive is that i've seen an ongoing if irregular maturity in media organizations about technology so if we go back to i think the starting point of how media organizations view technology was this annoying resting little thing put the intern on it we've we're fine over here and then oh my god that now it's the villain right because it's really impacted our business model and then this dawning realization that, hey, we have to work with this stuff, right? This is as important as our printing press in terms of how we're going to deliver the content. That revelation that your technology solution to deliver your content, and I'm, and I say build your community around your, what the content you're offering is as important as your printing press and should be viewed in your budget pretty much accordingly is something that organizations are many, many years later after this flip happened, really starting to embrace. Now, some have embraced it sooner than others, right? The New York Times stands in the States and I think worldwide is just an example of a full embrace of new business models, new technologies, new ways to deliver content that aren't gimmicky, but effective that respect the reader, right? I'm a big fan of the experience they've built. We haven't worked with them. I wish we had done some of that amazing work that is evidenced on their pages, it's and and they stand it as an exemplar, and we sometimes cite them for other organizations. But you even now, and it's understandable because some of these organizations are under such stress 
that revelation never happens, right? And some of these organizations going bankrupt, going out of business. And not because of just this, it's the water they're in, right? It's, we all make, it's hard to make good decisions when you're just under extreme pressure, bordering on panic. And so definitely navigating out of that world can be done, but it's very, it's very challenging. And to come back to more of a positivity frame, we work with organizations where we view one of our jobs is to educate them on how this can be successful. And we come to organizations that have tried to sh- tried to shoestring budget these efforts and ended up with exactly the kind of patchwork solutions you'd expect yeah. that all the users hate and all the editors hate and the like. We come to some that have tried to go big and because it's software, the project failed. And there's a lot of like, we could call it PTSD, post-technology yeah. stress disorder, about the last failed project. And culture's in our name for a reason because it's one of our founding yeah principles that culture is the true driver. So for us, it's really educating organizations about the culture and how an agile approach can both be budget-friendly and progress-friendly if you're just comfortable with a whole new way, particularly from media organizations' perspective, of thinking about technology. It's not new to us in this room necessarily, but I'm often amazed, I'm often surprised, surprised, maybe not amazed, that we walk into some rooms and we're like, oh, wow, we got, we got to talk about agile and how it works. And that's kind of the first lesson that we bring. Yeah, I think agile in particular is a very scary thing for a lot of mm-hmm. news orgs because they can go like, yes. we're going to print this many or this many new issues. Our print run is going to be this size for this issue in this edition. And we know exactly how much that's going to cost. I you think you agile, you're like, oh, I don't know how much it's going to cost because we need to work out what we're doing first. It's a hard sell sometimes. I think you've hit it on the head. Immutability is what the printing mm-hmm. press is all about. The press check right? Because when you're doing more high gloss publications, there's the press check and is 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 the magenta just so, right? Because we're going to hit a button, we're going to make 100,000 of these and there's no going back. And that's a powerful cultural imprint and agile is practically the opposite of that. Yeah. I'm mean, agile is actively making mistakes. Yeah. Not framing them as mistakes, but like, okay, we've done that. Now let's, what is the next step on from that? That could be better. And it's mm-hmm. embracing that process of nobody knows. We can't know because your readership is different than every other readership and they will respond differently to X, Y, and Z based on how you have treated them in, in the past. Like historical context of this relationship is so so important anyway. Yeah, but it's a great point. It, and think about the editor mindset, right? One of the things I love about newsrooms and editors and journalists is that getting it right matters. And so there's this very real aversion to getting it wrong ever, right? Oh, we're going to issue the correction, the next issue we get it. But even just getting the language right, right? Editors are a fastidious bunch. I love them for it, but it makes it hard for them to sort of embrace that. Yeah, we could just release a fix. It makes it hard to embrace. Yeah, builder don't even need to release a fix. We can just go in and modify the language and and Mm -hmm. to adjust this call to action. It's fine. Yep. It's intentionally weird. There's six versions of this that we're testing to see mm-hmm. which is going to be right. Yep, exactly. That, that itself is like a very intense mind shift for a lot of people to be like, I know we, we can just have six and work out which one is best later, but which one is best? Like, are we going to miss all that revenue potential or click-through potential? It's like, yeah, but it's minor changes. It's two or three percent at best on an area. But, mm-hmm. Yep. But I think... With all this, I mean, obviously, 
across test time technology can be a little bit of a dirty word within within news and media because of some of the revenue problems that have been caused by that. But do you see a positive, obviously, as well, that it has enabled new new experiences for people, new, both for the newsroom and the, the consumer, like you know, data-driven journalism where the data is accessible and you can change the visualizations to, to dive in and stuff like that? Yeah, I I think the the positive is that a lot of organizations are figuring it out. And I think the other thing that's a positive is that the telling your story is no longer just the domain, right, of these, the, shall we say, media gatekeepers. Now, we, we were all in the froth about disruption early. We're going we're gonna to take down the gatekeepers and everyone's going to be a journalist. Well, that has some drawbacks as well, right? And if you take that and extend it culturally, right, we can see that the drawbacks can sometimes be extreme. If everyone's an expert, no one's an expert, right? And so sort of like re-acknowledging the value of expertise in any field, I think is, in, in credibility, I think is something that's really important. What are the markers of that, right? I think is one of the things that that we can help with in terms of, of building out these solutions. But that positivity what that reflects, I think, is there's this inherent drive in humans to know what's going on, to consolidate information, to present it in both data-driven and narrative-driven ways. And I think the most effective storytelling is where narrative and data are deftly brought together. And it's one of the, it's a very hard skill, I think, in journalism to be able to do both, organizationally or even individually. But I think, coming back to positivity, I think organizations are figuring it out. Right. And the power source for this is really just the inherent need. There's always going to be a need to know what's going on in the world, going on in in the country, going on more locally. And that other positivity that I just kind of referenced is that other folks can be fun. It can be something fun like sports. Right. But you you have all the tools now to really tell your story in a compelling way that gets the message across that you want to get. So one year we worked with Churchill Downs and we did this thing called Derby Stories and we just interviewed people about what brought them to the derby and it's a sunny spring festival and everyone's in a good mood and dressed to the nines and we just short vignettes right that were more photographic driven than really narrative or interview driven but it's just it's a good example of of telling a story we're with 24-hour fitness to create a whole website called 24 life that really put what 24-hour fitness does through more of a holistic frame, shall we say, we enabled the technology piece. There was a very talented internal team that did and committed an energetic team that would would drive a very aggressive editorial calendar. We were raised at their yeah. pace sometimes, but they were telling their own story and it was a, a very positive story. And so everyone's got the tools to tell those stories. It's not just the domain of news organizations. The news organization challenge is that they'll often tell, they, they have to tell the story that may not be independently fundable. Right. Because yeah. it's here's here's what's going on with global warming. Right. And everyone's like, oh, well, that's kind of a downer, isn't it? Right. But that's a very important story to tell. And so it's but again, I coming back to land on this theme that, that that these teams are figuring it out. One of my favorite moments is when sort of we're able to kind of unlock that sense of like, oh, wow, this agile isn't necessarily the, getting it wrong along the way is part of the journey in technology, just get it wrong a little bit, right? And there's some lessons we don't have to reinvent. And watching that sort of, that that realization unlock 
in an organization that is doing at its core really great work. We're working with a, a company right now until it launches, probably will not mention the name, but publishes library publications, right? And we're getting into this world of several library publications. We understand media. We understand their drivers. But what they're doing is speaking to an audience of librarians and watching them respond positively to how we can demonstrate how this can work and help them do their jobs better for the interest of books and readers and librarians, right? Is is really, it's there's this wonderful feedback loop about hey, look what you can do with this powerful tool and look at all the good that you can do with sort of how you bring all this, you know, connect books with readers ultimately is the overarching mission here. And for us, there's a story to tell about how that can work. But frankly, that moment, that light up moment doesn't happen till you get your first three or four agile releases out. And they're like, oh, it's in production already? Right. And so that's like, oh, then the gears get turning. Right. Then they're like, oh, if I bring this idea to the table, I might see it in four weeks in production on what we're building here. And that's a great feeling. It's what gets us up in the morning. Absolutely. I think you've, you maybe touched on something that sort of flows around the back of my head as well. You mean talking about the kind of like library publications and stuff like that. And particularly for 24 hour fitness, mm-hmm. there's an adage doing the rounds that like, in 2023, every company has to be a media company. Mm-hmm. So like 24-hour fitness, gyms, stuff like that, they're not a media company, but actually the ability to put out content, the ability to tell a story, the ability to to communicate and do so regularly and have an ongoing pipeline. More and more, we see bigger brands realizing, actually, we need to be a publisher. We need to be a, a media company. Mm-hmm. Enough, we maybe aren't doing subscriptions this time. We're not doing ads around this stuff. Like it's an ad for our own, our own brand. I know examples of like HubSpot and big SaaS providers buying up small marketing blocks, as an example. VC firms buying up other kind of like small business startup kind of content blogs and stuff to to put that in place. It's all it's all the same idea of like we are helping people tell stories. In the end, they're helping them tell the story so they can sell their other product. But they're also these small groups around building those communities mm-hmm. to kind of like engage with people. And they're never just like pure content farms. They tend to be good brands that have built an identity and built a like rabid fan base that wants to, wants to consume that and continue to consume it. And those other brands are able to build on top of it. I just, I just think it's an interesting place to be. I. I think so. And it, it, and having that pillar represented in your plan, no matter what it is, I think is really important. We're working with, and it's, it, it was a compelling enough idea that it's actually something that both Trevor Dodd, co-founder of Culture Foundry and myself and a third partner, David Skinner j- jumping into it's, it's a carbon oriented venture, right? And so it's not to tangent too much here, but the idea was that carbon credits had it, they were the domain of large organizations, governments for small businesses like ours, right? It's sort of like, how how would I do that right and not, and know it's legit, right? Yeah. And so we created something called Carbon Credit Cart to enable that. And a key pillar of this is the content piece. It's Mm -hmm. just demystifying this 
putting glossaries together, but telling stories about stories in microcosm can really tell larger stories about a landscaping firm in Seattle where I am based. The, the landscaper bikes to his job sites with his tools in a cart in the back because his commitment to zero carbon landscaping is that that absolute. And that's just a great story. And yeah. so making sure that we have this, it's not just about the transactional piece or the, or, or even the design or the technology, it's making sure getting that story out to really re, to really unlock the why of the venture. This is all going through a, a pivot right now, more to, more to come on that later, but that even in its new form, yeah. that storytelling piece is a fundamental pillar. Absolutely. Mm. It's, it's I just on the same note, like there's a company in the UK, I think they're called Eco ecology or something mm-hmm. like that but it's very much the same idea where they want companies to come along and use them to source carbon credits and mm-hmm. do offsets and things like that but the way they do that is they're able to produce company specific profile pages so that you can as a company document the story of your carbon credit great like i built, we've grown this many trees from this many projects because you know, we decided that for every, for our case, say, for every push to a particular branch, we will buy, we will buy cart credits that will plant three trees. And they mm-hmm. will then allow you to, and that is actually a perfectly possible thing to do with their system. But it's that kind of like personal storytelling that they will then pick up and use as kind of bigger brand pieces that they can go out with. It's just interesting. And, and carbon credits, it's a tangent on a tangent now, right? But yeah, we can bring yeah. it back around to Agile. To a degree, which yeah. is, we had our all company meeting recently. We were going to have it in Austin, Texas. There was a big ice storm, yeah. blew up all our plans. And so we went virtual, but it was a good example. And uh, we're going to have a blog post coming out soon about this of just, you need to be agile as a company, right? And in whatever your field, we'll talk about agile is a good, a good philosophy for getting technology products out the door. They're a good philosophy for running a company. But we've been doing this for 12 years and it's amazing how after many years of doing something, the obvious suddenly dawns on you. It's, it's, and for us, we're like, oh, wow. We, in terms of, oh, this is our strategy last year and we had to adjust it. Well, we run the company on agile principles, right? We tried this, didn't work, right? We tried this, it did. We did more of it, right? Whole industries, I think, with agile principles, carbon credits had a, had a, had a debut moment. It's our solution. Then they had a reckoning where, ah, all those trees burned down. Hmm. Now what? Right. Well, we're going to need to keep people like, well, carbon credits are, they're terrible now. Right. Well, I guess we should just all give up and let the planet heat up. Right. Nope. It's carbon credits are a part. They're evolving to be a part of the solution or your mitigation strategies. You just can't get across to net zero, but if you're just using them, they're, they're having a role kind of taking an agile mindset approach that they're not what they were but there's still a piece and you can approach that issue, that sort of reckoning with carbon credits, with a technology solution, with a company you're working hard to build is like, oh my God, this is all wrong. Rip up the whole plan, right? And give up. Or it's like, well, that didn't work. Let's try this with the ingredients that did work and do a follow-on release. And it's it's yeah. amazing how widely applicable an agile mindset is. Absolutely. It's... um. This was mindset wise, that's more of a being attached to the end rather than the mean. 
Mm-hmm. Like as a technical person, like if I find myself very focused on the means by which we get to something, I want it to be a particular way. But actually, it doesn't matter as long as we got to where we were wanted to go. It doesn't matter how we necessarily did it. And comfortable with failure is a hard one, right? Yeah. I've worked in and with a lot of organizations and they, you can go too far with that too, right? Because you want to maintain yeah. accountability. But being comfortable with failure, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. We're comfortable with failure. Well, I don't try your first one, right? Tell me how it tastes, right? And it's it's not fun. Failure isn't fun. And so being comfortable with failure, Agile's a great methodology for kind of doing that in bite-sized chunks and learning along the way. But easier said than done, right? There's organizations I've worked in and with, right? It, you probably as well, right? That are paralyzed by the notion of failure. And so getting over that hump is not to be counted. It's a, it's a challenging thing to do. Yeah. I think at the same time, it's, it's a position to ultimately be respected because who knows that sourcing organization is in like, maybe this is their last chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe they cannot fail because like, this is it. Like this is the last, the last hurrah, the last chance of that. And that's that information changes how you do the approach, I suppose, because you step back and go, well, maybe we need smaller releases so we can be take smaller bets on each one kind of but yeah it's yep not without its merits and and it's and i've seen it expressed as one person an organization (laughs) we worked with years ago it's fear of getting off the whiteboard because then you're gonna have to commit and then you might be subject to criticism right and this was back in it was more of a waterfall-ish approach shall we say but it's it was it's just an interesting dynamic to observe an agile helps helps enable that right by making those smaller more incremental bets but it this great idea that we're going to invest lots of money and team into once it's off the whiteboard we're committed and if you take more of a waterfall approach to it's a big bet and if it's wrong you're out of runway and so that was i think one of the thing agile's a great i'm turning into this complete agile evangelist in this call more than i started right but it's it's just a great antidote for that problem, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, with, with that in mind, you, to bring it back to to media orgs, yeah. Uh, where do you think is a good starting point for a media company looking to get comfortable with agile, whether that's within content or technology or in in the business side? I know you've got all this experience across all all places. So, if you had a newsroom, a full publishing brand that's like, okay, we're looking to move more agile. And embrace mm-hmm. agile, whatever that means. Where's where do they start? What's a good, easy place that you think? A good easy place is to start small, and which is which is a good message and sometimes a surprising one, right? To organizations, they're like, "Oh, I thought you would want to maximize this engagement size." No, start small, right? Okay. Let's prove it with. Let's say we have a monolithic application serving our content. Well, let's go create the soccer blog, right? Or the the subsite. Let's do something small where even by virtue of the budget, right? That risk of failure is lowered so that we're all kind of comfortable figuring it out as we go. Yeah. And and then sort of what's the what's the counter argument to to agile is that it's the wild west and you're never going anywhere and you're just going in a big circle. Sort of showing them that if you have sort of a a, a good strategic north star for what you're trying to do right we're trying to deliver soccer content and we're trying to oh i'm definitely being american now aren't i football content and we're trying to 
and, and we're trying to create a community around that, right? If you have clarity of what you're trying to do and you're putting all your things through that, and then you can show early success, I think that's a great, a great way to counter healthy skepticism, right? The other thing about media organizations, at least journalism-centered ones, this is what we love about journalists, they are skeptics. They don't believe any of your BS, right? That's their job, right? And so you can't come in and tell in a happy story. You got to show some actual results. And often the best news execs are ex-journalists. And so it's, I think, for or in media organizations, I think it's a good way to go. And then the other one I would add to that is be, be cognizant of the culture and kind of don't don't discount that. And by, I don't mean like dismiss it necessarily, but it, culture is an amazing thing because it's, you know, the old parable, right? One fish says to another fish, how's the water today? And the other fish says, what's water, right? I mean, that's culture, right? And mm-hmm. so kind of recognizing the culture you're in and having direct conversations about that with the people who are in charge of the project and how you can bring people along to that and and name it essentially. Hey, I know that project X three years ago didn't work out, or I know that we've been on a shoestring budget for a long time and the tool is the tool is the enemy as a result because it doesn't work very well as opposed to an asset. Kind of talk about that directly in the room. And just when you can kind of articulate that culture and see it, I think it helps, right, with those conversations. You're not kind of fighting against an invisible thing. Now, you're not going to come in and give a big inspirational speech and change the culture, right? It's in the walls. It's in the water. It's everywhere. But that, too, is an incremental progress, right? And nothing changes the culture, frankly, like delivery and success, right? It's one of our core values at Culture Foundry is delivery because you can have cultures at large organizations that are so process heavy, there's no delivery out the other side of it, right? And we found that delivery, that's a powerful, that's a convincing, delivery is a convincing thing. I'll put it that way. That sounds great. And then I wonder too, if there's, if a news org, media org, however we decide we're going to refer to the the bat, that wants to trial agile for themselves without involving a third party, just like internally, almost like, okay, let's start iterating on our own process. Mm -hmm. I think- the content production flywheel of like ideation builds to this work. No, can we edit this content? Yes, add it back into pipeline to come back around again. Like that whole process I feel like is ripe for agile disruption just within an an organization itself, like engaging any any third party to be like, here's a small change we can look at doing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And applying that, right, externally, internally, we can come in and be helpful in terms of articulating based on where we've seen it work historically, what will work for them. And then it can be like, you could do this with an internal team. You could do this with us. If it's not an area we're specialists in per se that you need, you could do it with a whole different team. If we, particularly if we resonate with your mission, right? This is a friend of mine, this sort of, yeah, I'm talking about this, you know, library publication company that we very much resonate with their mission. We're just here to help, right? And if you can apply this in terms of how you're going to get it done, lane one, lane two, or lane three, or if you got a lot to get done, all three, right? Mm-hmm. We feel we've been helpful. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you sure. very much for your, your time today. If people want to find out more about you, like Culture Foundry, where's, where's a good place to look? To find out more about us, culturefoundry.com, where we've got some agile development and some storytelling on our in play named cultivate 
And yeah, that's where you can learn more about us and uh, contact us there. Great. Thanks so much. And for, for you, anywhere you still on social media or are you hiding like every... Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. We could do a whole other hour on... Yeah. like the mess of social media it kind of like tech promises and then tech realities it's a whole nother thread right now i have retreated to linkedin man it's like it's twitter got weird twitter got weird facebook's been weird for years and i'm just i'm not throwing down political views on linkedin but i've retreated to linkedin because it's congratulations linkedin on being the only absolutely non-insane social media platform left there's room for new entrants in this field awesome Thanks so much again for Thanks, all your Stuart. time today and all the insight about Agile and Culture Foundry. Yeah. Thanks. Loved the, loved the conversation. Thanks very much. Cool. Thanks again. Thank you for everyone for listening. Have a great rest of your day and we will speak soon. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Scale is available in all the usual podcast places. Even better, if you could leave us a review, that really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Powered by Coffee, you can find us on social media. And again, in all the usual places, links are in the show notes. Scale is currently going to come out every two weeks and we will see you then.